What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Look Mom, I'm Hustling podcast. Coming live and direct from Sydney. Australia? Australia. Yeah, not Sydney, Canada. There's pretty heaps of different Sydneys, right? I yeah, know there's um, Toronto in Queensland and there's, I think there's a Miami in Queensland as well. Yeah. Have been be. to either of them? Um, the I, US or the Australian version? I've been to the uh, Australian Miami in Have Queensland. You? Yeah, it's like the Gold Coast, right? Because it's all like beachy, vibey. That's where like schoolies is and stuff. Right. Yeah. So coming, coming live from Sydney anyway, uh, episode 40, <laughs> great introduction. We made it to episode 40. We're, I know. We beat it before um, the new year, which is awesome. Yes. We never we, thought this we, podcast would come back, but it did. So Dragged it out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I know. Good on for us. Um, but what I was going to say before is like, I'm glad I'm not in any of the Gold Coast uh, places at the moment because schoolies is on. So, right. Yeah. So all these kids are like raging and They still have to do that because that was still pretty wild when I, we finished school. I know. I remember in 2005... That's when I finished high school, right? Yeah. Like we're in our 30s now. But even back then, it was a big deal. Well, it was a big deal for us to go, but it wasn't a big deal for parents to let you go. Like it seemed like pretty blase to let your kids go. Like it wasn't a huge deal or anything. I think it was, it just depends on the type of parents. You went to a private school. Yeah, I went to a private school, but I actually skipped my year 12 formal um, to go to a hardcore music festival up in Canberra. Which one? Um, It it would be like something fest. So it would have been, (laughs) I don't know, we'll search like 2000 and, when did we graduate? 2006, like hardcore festival in Canberra. The Bled was playing. Canberra. Like hardcore festival. Festival. Um, Like Carpathian, I Killed the Prom Queen. Like those kind of bands, the Bled. Like I went for the Bled. Soundfest. Yeah, that's Soundfest it. Soundfest 2006. Let's pull up the pull up the lineup here. All right. Bit of a throwback. Did you graduate in 2006? We both did. No, I was in 2005. No, it was 2006. No, 2005. No, 2006. We were in different years then. Why are you trying to tell me when I did school? When I finished school, I started 2000, 2005, 2006. I was in TAFE for music production. Okay, maybe it was 2005. I don't know, but well, this, this is, is 2006 the, November. Yeah, so, so you must have been a year because. Your your birthday's in in November. Yes. So you would have been still in school. Oh my god! I always thought we're like behind. I always thought we're like in the same years at high school, but no, you were a smarty pants and was a year ahead. Well, I've just got an extra year of life experience. Apparently, you do. Um, University of Canberra. You drove all the way down there, did you? On your your peas? No, we caught the train. I think it was or the bus. Yep. Can't remember because we didn't drive. So one of my friends from Melbourne came up. Was was like, it, why was it on two different days? Why was there only three bands on the second day? Because it was a, it was like a two, two dayer. So yeah, we but- actually, oh my gosh, I just remembered that we stayed in like one of these cabins that you know that if you went to like school camps and stuff it was like one of these sort of cabin yeah, areas and we we're like in bunk- yeah, hundred percent. And we stayed overnight so we could go to the next day as well. There was it's just like, too many. But I don't understand the sparse difference between the number of bands on the Friday and the Saturday. Like on the Friday, you got 20 bands. On the Saturday, you got three. What, do they have mega sets or were there other activities and stuff to do? I think from memory, the the long one was like an all-dayer and then the other one was like a nighttime event. So I think we were like- You just- could do like a two-day pass or a one-day pass. Yeah, exactly. So what were your favorites on here? So got a couple of Aussie bands, um, got Getaway Planned and The Bled. The Bled were a short-lived band. They were. They were. I went for The Bled. They were like my favorite They were pretty at cool time. at the time. Yeah. The, the singer, what was unique about him? He had like an, either an afro or super black curly hair or something. I think it was like, yeah, long black curly hair yeah. or something like that. And it was just like that math quarry sort of style. Mathcore, yeah. Um, and then on the first day, obviously Parkway Drive when you used to only have to pay like 10 bucks to see them before they were huge in the States. Yeah. Amity Affliction was the other big one as well. Oh, Horse Common. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe Amity Affliction were around. I, did, I thought they came a bit later, but obviously they must have been like low level, like EP type of stuff. Yeah, they were like one of the first They bands. weren't on Triple J or anything. No, they were like one of the daytime sort of in this. They had, it was in... I'm pretty sure it was like in like a like a church sort of like youthy club sort of area, and like Amity Affliction was like on the little outside stage. It was so small, like so intimate. Um, Even Parkway was tiny then. Yeah, this is when like hardcore was not popular at all. No. Yeah. Fifty Lines was like really big, but you have to be pretty into hardcore and mm-hmm. Carpathian same. Um, yeah, there's no real like punk. But this is like straight hardcore. It was straight hardcore. Yeah. No punk. No no emo. Nothing. No. The Bled's a little bit emo. Getaway Plan was pretty emo. Mm-hmm. Um, was that your first like festival? It would have been, yeah, because I used to only go to because being in Australia, there wasn't a lot of touring American acts and like, stuff. Like festival, multiple, like concert or festival, like uh, it was first festival, and then I think the year after this, or is like that year? No, it was the following year. That's when Soundwave came to yeah to Australia Sydney, or Sydney Newtown. and stuff. Yeah, because I never really went to any big day outs or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Do you remember your first festival? First festival. Um. 
I went to a bunch of shows in high school. Like Horton Pavilion was a, a very popular spot. Seen um, Sum Forty One, Newfound Glory, heaps of that sort of stuff. Where you'd go to like Channel V beforehand. Uh, they were never big enough to be on Channel V. Uh, I used to watch the Channel V live ones, like the Blink ones at the drive-in and all that sort of stuff, because they always used to like play alongside Big Day Out and stuff. Yeah. Um, first festival, don't know if it was a – because I wanted to go to Big Day Out forever. Mm-hmm. And then like right when I was like 12, 13, they pushed the age limit back a couple of years. Yes. So I didn't was- get to go until I think I think 2006, which I think Blink played then. Big Day Out 2006. Might have been my first one. Yeah, that's the first one I went to. So I was, you were still in school. I was just, you know, dabbling a little bit Fuck in the, the, the drugs and the bands and yeah. stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, 2006 was a great. Uh, memorable points from that festival, because like you said, Soundwave and stuff came after, but mm-hmm. Bid Day Out was sort of on its on its way down then. It was because there was a, quite a few people were getting hurt. Yep. I think there was like a death or two as uh, well. I probably have a photo here I can throw up. Uh, one of my mates was super into Mudvayne and dressed up as uh, one of the members of Mudvayne. Um, Franz Ferdinand was pretty the standout. Um, I don't know this the main song was just like a real, real stomping beat, and we were just in the back of the stands, mm-hmm. um, doing not so legal things, of course. Um, and everyone was just banging on the stands and stuff, which was really cool. But Blink was probably that's a the good yeah. There was at the White Stripes as well. White Stripes played Iggy and the Stooges, Franz Kings Ferdinand, of, Kings of Leon, Mars Volta. Oh my gosh, what a lineup! Yeah, Living End as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the years before that were heaps better. This is a lot of Aussie bands, like, you know. Yeah. Um, Henry Rollins. Yeah. Henry Rollins came into my work once. 2000 was probably the best one, though, right? That was like when um, I believe Limp Biscuit played, or maybe the year after 2001. Chili Peppers. Yeah, festivals. And then, you know, Soundwave came and sort of took over and then it was sort fizzled of, out. It was a bit of a different because sound, Soundwave was more of like a, like a punky. Sort of one, and Big Day Out was a, had a bit more alternative and everything as more well. More alternative, yeah. Yeah. Mm. You can, um, get rid oh, of sorry. That. My bad. Yeah, just reminiscing on. I know. So, back to schoolies. Yeah. Um, so, you didn't, you didn't, you skipped your. My year 12 formal to go to a hardcore festival. Um, and then no schoolies? Yeah, didn't go to schoolies. I literally worked the whole entire way through until I went to uni the next year because I wanted money at the time. So, I was just mm. working heaps. Um, and also because I couldn't afford to go to mm. any of those kind of events and I don't think my girlfriends and stuff were going either so I just spent my money on like CDs and drive through record DVDs <laughs> which we've touched on before which yeah. we still haven't added to the background yeah that's true I remember distinctly going to a flight center with my friend who was only, wasn't even in school anymore he'd been um, working his trade for a couple of years at that point I was still in school and I guess he we went to the flight center to get a quote and then nothing ever sort of eventuated out of that where were you gonna go just Schools? Queensland. Yeah. Oh, Queensland, yeah. And like, but I've never been a party, never been a big drinker, party mm-hmm. type of guy. I've always been sort of solitary dude, lone ranger, I guess, lone wolf. And then nothing ever happened from it. And then I never really traveled for many, many years later. So that was, yeah, that was fun. So the schoolies. Yeah, so right I think, now. no, I know. Yeah, well, I think it's just heaps more popular than what it used to be because I remember kids used to go to like on cruises and stuff, right? They used to just go on like a weekend cruise, um, but now they just usually flood either the Gold Coast or I think they're flooding Byron Bay now more than anything Byron else because it's a trendy, trendy place. Yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like the the ability for kids to go to these sort of things unsupervised is probably petering out. There's, like you don't see like back in our day, you could just I'm going to go to my friend's house and you just wander down the street and oh, like, yeah. you'll come back whenever. Mm-hmm. These days, you don't just see groups of teenagers like really roaming around that much com- compared to back then. So, like being able to allow them to fly to a different state, book a hotel, all that sort of stuff, it seems like it's on a, probably on the decline. Yeah. I can imagine point. the parents like booking it for them. Like if they're 18 years old, they'll probably, you know, go off and do themselves. But there's always that one 17 year old friend that would always have to like beg his parents <laughs> to go. Cause like obviously, you know, what schoolies is about, people just drink and party the whole entire time. And fuck. I, yeah, I suppose so. That's the main thing. Yeah. No, I was just like- Party income second. Yeah. I was just a music nerd and just like worked. <laughs> yeah, I was in TAFE. Yeah. I was, yeah. I remember being at TAFE that next year and then Steve Irwin. The, the most memorable part of that year was going to TAFE, doing mm-hmm. music production, learning not a whole bunch other than how to use like Pro Tools and then Steve Irwin dying on the drive home one day. Wow. That was 2006 for what me. What an Australian icon. Yeah. Yeah. Super staple. Yeah. <laughs> the son's like a spitting image of him now. I know. Yeah. Little, what's his name? Bob. Uh, no, it's not Bob. Oh, his dad's Bob. No, he's Robert. No, his Robert. name's Robert. Yeah. yeah, Rob. Bob for short. I think so. Yeah, Bob Owen. <laughs> Those are the days. That's probably yeah. one of the best TV shows back in the day. Crocodile, Crocodile Hunter. Hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Classic. 
Well, it was just the just the fact that he would be like, oh, what's that? Just like dives in and just like grabs it. And you're like, this is like literally a poisonous animal. What are you doing? <laughs> Not setting a great standard. No. And then there was like the contra- not the controversy, but like he was like feeding a crocodile and had like his baby in like one arm, and Did he's just like dangling. He? Just like Michael Jackson hanging hanging a little blanket over the of the balcony. Yeah, but it's just like, but it was like Steve Owen, who's like used to it. He was, you know, he'd be covered in like scratches and bites and stuff. He's like, it's fine, it's all right, it's all right, mate. We probably learned more about wildlife and stuff from shows like that. I don't think Attenborough was was really around at that point. There wasn't that much because we used to have Foxtel, and like I said, we used to watch um, lots of. Channel V, but mm-hmm. Animal Planet was a big channel at the time as well. And Nat Geo always had like the Shark Week ones. Yeah. There was always those educational shows 100% on TV. I mean, like, I think there's like a thing where we're called the, our generation's called like the TV generation, right? Where the next generation or so is called like the iPad or phone generation or whatever it is. But like, we were parked in front of the TV. As soon as you, or in the morning when you'd wake up, you'd watch Cheese TV, right? Yeah. And then you'd go to school, sometimes late because you wanted to finish watching Dragon Ball Z or Sailor Moon or whatever it was. And then you would go to school, come home, and then watch more TV. You'd have the- Like the know, afternoon slot. Of, exactly. There'd be a few kids sort of game shows mm-hmm. like- like, um, what's that snot Ama- one? Remember Amazing? Amazing. Remember Amazing? Is that like the big maze show? Amazing kid show. I think so. And they used to get, um, here it is. Oh, that's a different, that's a bunch of different ones. Oh, it might be this one where they Let's had to collect like stars and stuff for the. Yes, no, that is one that I used to love that show. And then there was the one with the big snot and you had to like guess who the person yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. And you had to like put your hand up this big nose. It's kind of like it was catered to us in our, our generation, right? Like, it, like you said, Cheese TV and stuff was there, Agro's yeah. um, cartoon connection in the morning. Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, definitely. Classic. Uh, yeah, like There's the TV There's nothing like that anymore. It's just no. cartoons now. Yeah, just, pretty cheaper to produce. Yeah, like Bluey and all that kind of thing. So it's just mainly cartoons. I'm assuming they would have some of the sort of these game shows, but I think a lot of them are just imported from America, right? Mm. Yeah, there's not. Like what? You're solely running um, the production off the advertising on these sort of things. Yes. So like I remember heaps of kids' toys and stuff, like the flying Barbies with the wings. Mm-hmm. All those sort of toys would be advertised on them, but you don't see it anymore. But it's, it was sort of catered to our parents that were super busy trying to hustle their nine to five. Yeah. Let's put the kid in front of the TV for an hour or two before work while we can get their food and breakfast yeah, and stuff sorted. And then immediately after while they're tying up loose ends mm-hmm. or to and from sports and stuff. Yeah. That have something like this in the afternoon. Well, they're getting kind dinner. of educational, but you don't really remember anything. No, not really. You just remember like the vagueness of the show. And then on ABC that uh, like that. F- like three tool Angela Anaconda. Yeah, like that three tool like yeah. five thirty PM slot would be Yeah, like like Trapdoor and all those kind of trap shows. Trapdoor. Yeah, it was it called Trapdoor? Yeah, that was yeah, classic. Yeah. Trapdoor. Again, they were entertaining, but you don't learn anything mm-hmm. from them, right? Yeah. And then you had that half an hour gap. So I think it was either if you're a home and away kids or a neighbor's kid between five thirty and six, and then Simpsons kicked off at six Simpsons. and then everybody watched The Simpsons. Yeah. Simpsons yeah. was always I mean, there was people in my school that weren't allowed to watch Simpsons. Yeah, there was like one or two kids. Um, really random, but I remember we got to study it in year 11 for like a satire English class. And every, like most kids had a leg up, right? Because everyone watched Simpsons and because the Simpsons were so good at satiring, like pretty much everything that was popular or current at the time, a bit like our family guy and stuff was. Um, so it was like, he was easy. And then this one, that's a couple of kids struggled because they just never watched The Simpsons. So they had to like study really hard for it and watch The Simpsons. Like, it's just The Simpsons. We all grew up on it. Having to study The Simpsons just to pass a class. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we were a TV generation, right? Like we just got, we just got, it was just too much content not to feed it to you. Mm. And now it's replaced by iPads and stuff. It is, yeah. Yeah. That whole like free to air thing. It was, I think we had a chat about this the other day and I think we've got a few articles and stuff to reference, but it was one of those things where, there was always something to watch on TV. You'd flick through, whether it was MASH or, like I said, like The Simpsons. I don't know. I used to watch MASH as well. But it was always like something on and always something to flick through. You had like movies every single Friday, Saturday, Sunday on all the different channels as well. Um, It's like something I super remember, like as a family, like on Friday nights, we would pick one of the channels and watch one of the movies that was on and you'd have your TV guide, you'd be able to plan out your week around the TV. Parents still use a TV guide. Yeah, your parents do. But I remember them complaining that it's like, it cuts off at like late night TV. So we don't know what's on when they forget that they have a phone (laughs) to look it up. It's pretty brave of them to just let the TV run. Nowadays, you can, you know, have YouTube kids and have your stuff pre-selected or filter out stuff that you've already, you've gone through and watched yourself to make sure there's nothing 
too risky or too perverse that's going to be shown to them. Mm-hmm. But back then, you know, it's not like you could watch the shows in advance. No, like some of the movies would be not really kid appropriate as well. And I remember like it got to a time where they just started phasing out the movies and then it was just like standard like TV shows and things that used to be on like reality TV. I think that's when reality TV sort of started to come in and was heaps more popular. Um, I think that's when a lot of the, the downfall of our generation started beginning. Like reality, the... You know, like the jackass generation, right? Uh, that was not. That's not really reality. That's sort of just pranks. Yeah. Like there was plenty of like MTV type prank shows. There was Punked with Ashton Kutcher, mm-hmm. but like reality TV shows, like there was that one with the Backstreet Boys, um, the Carter Brothers, Kardashians, and stuff came a little bit later. Oh, such as Life with like Paris Hilton exactly, and stuff. Right? Yeah. But then the furthest thing from reality. Yeah. So I think like we have been having this discussion the last couple of days or the last week or so about, um mental health in our generation, as we just said, mm-hmm. we were the TV generation. Our parents could have spent more time mentoring and guiding us through life's trials and tribulations of what to expect, how to behave, how to act in the real world. Uh, instead, we're just learning a lot of stuff from teachers mm-hmm. who are probably older than our parents a lot of the time and not up to date with the current economic and social climate. And then the rest of the time is built in with TV in terms of what we were learning. Yeah. So I just feel like... We got a little bit screwed. I think the next generation is going to be more screwed if the parents don't step in and start teaching their kids better, like life practices and mm-hmm. self-discipline and stuff. But the, when the reality TV entered, which was a bit before, a little bit before MySpace, a little bit before social media, mm-hmm. that's when things started to unravel. Everyone's like watching reality TV, but it's the furthest thing from reality. It's actually yes. the the highlights and the the most extravagant or it's the most extreme, extreme of like human behavior. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you see the downside. I think. Uh, the Osbournes, there was some low points there because Ozzy Osbourne was going through a lot of his health battles and yes. addiction battles. Mm-hmm. Even the kids were going through their own stuff, right? Yeah. That was, for me, probably the one of the most rem- memorable reality TV shows that sort of shown any sort of mental health um, components to, like, learn from. But up until then, it was like... Home improvement, everything's fine. Yeah, it was TV always shows. like those family friendly, like Sitcoms. like healthy sort of dynamics. You'd work through all your issues in one episode, exactly. whereas like not reality. No, at all. not reality at all. And I think it was because of the Osborne sort of like made way for the Kardashians and all those kind of like really like dysfunctional family dynamics. Yeah, there was a good one. Meet the Barkers with Travis Barker from Blink. I don't remember yeah. his ex wife. Never uh, watched that. Shana Shana um, Mokla. I can't remember her name, mm-hmm. but they used to have. Um, an interesting TV show that was yeah. probably like 2005, 2006. Oh, like Nick and Jess, like Jesse, Jessica Simpson, like her and yeah, yeah. all that Newlyweds, stuff, right? Yes, they yeah. sort of cashed in that MTV generation before mm-hmm. it fizzled out, and then sooner or later, social media took over, and that's when it just became even worse because you went from seeing celebrities living their high life to friends and families or family members curating the best points of their life, mm-hmm. and then I guess people that aren't really chasing their own dreams and doing what they want to in life and get sort of caught in the that realm of I don't know what to do with myself, end up seeing everyone else living their best life and then that starts creating more anxiety and depression in a generation and it just funnels and funnels and funnels, feeds into the next generation. Like it's pretty scary, pretty yeah. scary, especially when you see kids at a restaurant with an iPad. The second you sit down, kids got an iPad, the parents are having a drink. Yeah. I'm like this is a, a great chance for you to like um, teach your kid A, some manners, B, some life lessons. Like how to like interact in, yeah, in a restaurant space or you see like parents and we're all talk, obviously we don't have kids. We're going to plan to have kids and all that kind of thing. But it's like, you know, you see a parent like walking down the street with a stroller and the kid's got the phone in their hands. I'm like, what about just experiencing the world around and seeing and yeah. just like, talk, like, like just interacting with yeah. your kid, right? And being like, oh, what's that? What's that called? Like, it's you know, same, just it's being the same engaged. mentality as what we are. Yeah. Just um, either my life's too busy or too frantic or I have too much stuff going on. What's the easiest solution? What's the most convenient solution Sit them to in front entertain of or mm. keep this kid distracted from nagging me or asking me for anything right now? Mm-hmm. Just pop them in front of a screen. If I had a restaurant, I'd probably put a big uh, signage at the front, no screens. Yeah. Well, that's like when they used to have, you know, the coloring pads and the pencils and all that kind of thing to keep the kids entertained. Yeah. yeah. A little coloring and stuff. Like, just so they wouldn't bother the parents yeah, as much. Yeah, I guess that's a, a primitive version. Yeah. But 
at least they're doing something, right? Mm-hmm. There's obviously a kid can play a video game, but most of the time they're just watching a, a screen or something. Yeah. And it's quite um funny now that we're striving to like get less screen time. Like we're striving to make sure that we're conscious that we're not spending, or as adults, not spending as much time on the phones, not spending as much time just watching pointless content or pointless shows that don't give any value or any growth. Like, yes, we have that downtime and watch a movie on date night or things like that. But most of the time now, like if I'm on my phone, I try to have that conscious effort to make sure it's something worthwhile. Yeah. And like, I realize that's what we've been trying to do for obviously for the last couple of years, but I think it's so prominent in the last six months of just trying to really work on it and be like, all right, what am I consuming and what does it mean? And what is it worth to my life? What is it worth to our lives? What is it going to be worth to the future? Mm. Like, it's just such a, interesting thought when you know just say five years ago we just you know watch something on mtv or watch foxtel or it was just purely entertainment yeah no, 100%. no value so like pretty much everything that i do now online for the most part i'm not perfect like everyone no one's perfect with this sort of stuff but i'm only really going to consume it and continually consume it if it's a making me laugh mm-hmm. outrageously like every time i watch it like a good comedy podcast or something mm-hmm. Or if I'm learning something significant that's going to improve my life. Everything else is sort of wishy-washy and I might consume it a little bit, but I'm not going to repeatedly go back to it or subscribe to that sort of stuff. Um, I just There's not, not enough time. There's not enough time to like just waste your, waste your days watching random videos about nothing. No, that's so very true. We literally have to cherry pick what we do and what we watch. All else, before we know it, it's been three months and be like, what have I done with mm. this past three months? Yeah. What have you watched lately on YouTube? We're just watching heaps of podcasts. Like that's an interesting point you said before that we were constantly trying to curate stuff. There's a whole um, movement, I guess you could call it a movement now, of people that realize how comfortable life, how comf- comfortable and convenient life is. Mm-hmm. We have instant access to Uber Eats, delivery of everything. We have people that come and go, can clean the house. So much content to consume. Ease of access is like unbelievable at the moment. So it's what's just the ease of access to an easy life or it's easy to choose the easy option, basically. Yes. It's hard to like put some discipline in and um, choose the harder thing to do as opposed to the easier thing. So now that everything's so easy, everything's so convenient, there's people now that are forcing themselves into hard or painful situations to remove themselves from the 24-7 comfort Mm -hmm. of the world. So, for example, like the ice baths, um, that sort of thing, putting, going to saunas, doing meditation, all these things that are harder than just doing the easy entertainment sort of route. Uh, there's so many people that are doing that now. They're trying to force and insert pain and discomfort into their lives mm-hmm. because everything else is so easy. And then it sort of balances out the other aspect of having the comfortable options throughout the day. No, 100%. Because if you're comfortable, if you're complacent, there's no growth, there's no movement, so it just stays the same. Whereas like if you are, if you go through pain, obstacles, hurdles, um, you learn something from it, right? Like whether it, you fail or succeed, you're going to have a learning experience from it. And through learning, you end up getting growth out of it and you become a better person or a more thoughtful human being, whatever it is. And I, th- I can't remember the old saying, but I think it's whether to do with like world wars or things like that, where it's, you know, the, oh, I think it's something to do with like the economy and stuff as well. Or it's that old school saying of like comfortable times make weak men. Oh, so it's been reiterated on oh, so Joe Rogan times. podcast. Oh, was it? Yeah. Hard men make easy times. Yeah. So people that are, dudes that are hard make it easy by, you know, going to war, creating mm-hmm. a really nice environment, pleasant place to live. Mm-hmm. And from that, it generates soft men mm-hmm. who then take it for granted and don't go as hard as they can potentially, yeah. which then turns into a hard time. Yes. And then hard time forces people to become hard mm-hmm. and vice versa. And that's what I think we're sort of or like, vice we, versa in, yeah. And like we've just been in like a, like just before COVID or whatever it is, we're in like a quite comfortable, like inflation was normal, like everything was just sort of like steady, right? And then now, you know, cost of living has gotten a lot higher. We're in a bit of a hard time. So there's like a war on stuff at the moment. Um, and really a lot of people are struggling, whether it is to pay rent, like there's a rent crisis and stuff at the moment where people are living in their cars because they can't afford. People choose to live in their cars though. Yeah, well, van life. <laughs> um, I think that's, in- I was reading an article the other day, it's increased by like, 300 percent 
could just throw just yeah. made that number up, but it's a, a massive amount. It's increased. Well, yeah. I, I think the I think it was something. It was the, actually it was a statistic, statistic about. Sorry, cut you off. Um, people with YouTube channels, the percentage of them that have some sort of van life video component mm-hmm. or have tried van life, it was like twelve percent or ten percent or something, maybe that high. Mm-hmm. But so many people end up doing it, right? Because it seems like a convenient option. Well, we tried it. We tried it for one de- one weekend. Yeah, we did. We're like, oh, probably not the best um, financial decision going forward because- There's a time and a place for it. Yeah. But like you said, it's there are people that are getting forced into their cars and don't have an option, but then mm-hmm. having the option is sort of- it's it's great if you can have that option. Yeah, it's like a sense of freedom. Like you can just pick up and drive somewhere wherever you want to go, whether it is like that whole tiny home living or those tiny house living. Tiny homes are cool. Yeah. I mean, you get to buy a block of land. Sometimes, yeah, but you can get the ones on wheels and they just put it on the back of a – it depends how tiny the tiny home is, I guess. Well, this brings in a different point that I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, the billionaire class investing in like bunkers – for the Armageddon or end of world situations, right? Mm-hmm. And they're creating, buying up huge plots of land all over um, New Zealand and America in the middle of the desert and stuff. Um, but the people that can only afford that are like the the one percent, the one percent, the one of the one percent. Yeah. Um. So it's it's hard times are creating hard men, mm-hmm. but then sometimes only the rich people, rich men, can really afford the afford the the luxury of like moving into that next generation, that next sort of phase of the planet, I guess, but yeah, t- times are tough. There's every all the money's, all the prices are going up on everything, mm-hmm. um, which makes people more reliant on being at home and not going out and spending, which forces them inside less activity, more to screen time. Again, it kind of kind of comes back to the initial point of just how convenient life can become, even exactly. in hard times, because yeah. we have so many options to stay at home. There's so many reasons to stay at home. It's like, would you rather, you know, go out, experience something or just stay home and save the money and just Well, you're paying for your rent anyway. You may as well make the most of the, the place mm-hmm. that you're paying for. Yeah. So, yeah, more, more screen time is just going to create more. Exactly. More stress. So then it just comes down to that self-awareness in a way. Um but I guess understanding what your situation is, and I think that comes to like why, you know, we're big on. I think you know, I'm not long ago finished like the Ryan Holiday um, Discipline is Destiny book, and that just really ties into having that self discipline to whether it's reflect, understand, um, and have some control over your own life rather than having life control you in a way. Yeah, yeah, and it's just understanding how. I guess how crazy the world can be. So all you can really do is just make sure you put the right steps in place to make yourself succeed and those around you succeed, which so I thought about, was really interesting. It's about self-discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Which I didn't have much growing up. No. Like um, growing up, I thought discipline was like punishment. Mm-hmm. Like the two words meant the same thing to me. Discipline was never taught to me in the terms of self-discipline or self-restraint or willpower to buckle down and persevere or buckle down and just get on with the job. Like I was never really pushed into sports. Um, any sport that I did try, I was sort of on my own accord. Any musical instrument that I tried, I was, it was on me. Mm-hmm. So I pick it up and try it, but there was never any sort of lessons about this is why it could be a good habit to form, not just to get good at this one thing, but how practicing and, you know, spending time trying to get good at one thing can um, lay over into other aspects of your life which that is sort of self-discipline. Yeah, 100%. And I thought that was quite interesting the way that uh, like your childhood was quite different to my childhood where you were left up to your own devices most of the time and you know trying to figure out your own path, whereas like my parents were a little bit more structured in what they did for us with our extracurricular activities. Yes, we had our TV time, but both of my brothers did sport. Like I did dancing. Um, I did dancing pretty much three to four times a week and that was very, very structured. Like I was in classes, um, had to practice in my time off. Like I didn't, and that was like not forced and towards the end it sort of got yeah, I forced because I didn't did like it. Did you feel it. like it was like a, a curriculum forced upon you or it was, I guess the difference of the book is like self-discipline. Mm. Yeah. Like you're, you're the one in control of what you want to do. Obviously mm-hmm. there's structure in how to get better at dancing and stuff, but do you feel like it was, not forced by your parents, but like the curriculum sort of forced you to stay disciplined or it was like a self-imposed discipline? 
Like it was almost forced you to be disciplined because you had to learn and remember routine. So if you were in, I did quite a few different variations. So I did like a troop version. So you had to learn, everyone had to learn the same dance, be in time, had to practice. And then we'd go into competitions. And then we had like duo ones. You had another partner um, and then you had to practice together. I was very lucky as a young kid. She was like my best friend. So it was just like, we'd go to each other's houses. Uh, Justine, hello. Uh, We don't talk anymore, but hello. Um, Drop Drop the handle here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I was like, what handle? Uh, but we used to go to each other's houses on the weekend and I'm pretty sure my mom was quite close with her mom. So it was just a, like a nice sort of social environment as a, as a young girl. Um, and then the solo ones, that was more of the self-discipline because, again, I would enter into competitions and if I wanted to win, I would have to make sure that I practice my singing, practice my dancing and my steps and remember the routine and have that sort of aspect to it as well. Were you hard on yourself or like who was the hardest on you, y- yourself um, your parents, um, your uh, other dance troupe members, whether it's like intentionally trying to be hard on you or it was just you felt that or was it like the, I guess, the teacher or the coach? I think in the beginning, I really loved it. So I was more of like, I wanted to win um, that particular aspect towards and sort of my mom as well. Um, and then towards the end of it, it was really much the dance instructors, because obviously if you're a dance instructor or a dance teacher and your troop or your person or individual wins, that's a good reflection on them, right? Was so there a financial incentive? Um, for, for them, I think it was more of like a recognition type thing. So the dance school. So the more obviously the more things you win, the more uh, girls or boys or whoever start, would apply. Start signing up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you're just yeah. funneling into the next year. So yeah. it is financial incentive to a degree. Oh, for sure. But yeah. also they have their personal pride as one of the best dance yeah. coaches around. Because dancing is yes, it's a sport, but it's also an art form. So there's that sort of like you have to have a love for it. Um, and I lost that love, which is why I ended up like quitting in year eight. I think it was like I just didn't didn't really enjoy it anymore. So. Just stop doing it then. Um, but that was probably my only really, I guess, beginning life of having discipline or having structure. And then from like my teenage years, it was just like chaos. Like I just didn't have anything. Right. Yeah. So you lost that entire, that, this is just a huge gap in in the way you went about your, your days outside of school life, right? Mm-hmm. You went yeah. from having no discipline or from having discipline to no discipline. And exactly. Then, yeah. I mean, there's a, a massive link between self-discipline and mental health we talked about last week um that phil starts documentary Mm -hmm. um called starts by Jonah hill and there's a a part of the start that we both did a big hmm one of the deep hums in the the throat Mm -hmm. um that diet and exercise was never propositioned as a tool to mitigate or prevent or to control your mental health basically it was always diet and exercise is always appearance Mm -hmm related yeah keeping in shape not not being larger than you should be yeah there was never really um explained in terms of these are the best tools for like controlling your mental health and like getting things under wrap no it's like having discipline whether it be diet and exercise that's one of the main things to do with mental health now and, and i just watched this um netflix documentary um I think it's called Take Take Your Pills by about Xanax, like the anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. And just how addictive the medication can can become. Um, but a lot of the, the reasons that people have anxiety is just hopelessness or lost or they don't really know how to navigate through day-to-day life or they just feel overwhelmed by situations. Um, and there can be many causes for that. We've had the conversation mm-hmm. about anxiety and depression that can – I think it can be um, – situation like a sort of situational environmental almost mm-hmm. like a potentially uh traumatic event can trigger anxiety and depression yeah or it can be like a complete chemical imbalance um in the brain but there's like there's so many people that have mental health problems it's just it's slowly getting less and less stigmatized destigmatized mm-hmm. destigmatized yeah like it's, it's coming it's like a lot more of like a conversation now and that like but that, still not enough right no and like that totally makes sense because when i stopped dancing I was going through puberty, so I started putting on weight and I just didn't understand what was going on, had too much time on my hands. And eventually, you know, as like a teenager, I felt that void with like MSN and being on the internet and just being in, and we all know like the internet culture back then was just like terrible, right? So just like- Yeah, it was pretty bad. Like in Um, terms of like bullying and nastiness? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like it was- just, just not the best. You go into chat rooms and people just rude or yeah. all that kind of thing. Like it's, you know, my brothers would play, you know, World of Warcraft. But this is would- probably even before text and video could be sent because data was like dial-up internet. Was- yeah, it was dial-up. Yeah, 100%. So like all you could really do is just spit venom mm-hmm. and hate 
in text form. Yeah. It was not like there was um, all these revenge porn incidents. No. All these videos, pranking and trolling. Back then it was just, yeah, like text form abuse. Yeah. But like you said, like you had, you just went from having discipline to no discipline. Yeah, like and then- exercise, structure, like social, all that kind of stuff to like quitting and having like nothing at all. And then realize like during my high school years, like I maybe up until like year 10, like I was okay in studying and then just lost that and just like didn't study and didn't really care and just was kind of. Just straight into the internet. Yeah, just, just avoid, straight- avoiding reality. Yeah, 100%. And it's probably not for the last like, you know, two years I've been like, right, this is this is what the discipline is again, like just getting it back. Well, I was the same. I didn't even, like I said, I didn't even have any sports that I was really pushed into or that I even enjoyed. I just sort of jumped into them because a friend or two were doing it and I'd just play for a year and then get over it. There was never really any lessons about, again, this is why it would be benefit you long-term, uh, building teamwork, building friendships, relationships. I just sort of was just there just to fill in some time before – Simpsons came back on basically mm-hmm. and I did the same thing. Once I got into my teenage years, it was replaced with MySpace, MSN, all the group chats trying to chat to girls and just do anything to avoid human interaction really outside of my very close friend group. Mm-hmm. Um, and like having no sports and, and having that such such distance from people, again, it created a bunch of mental health problems, right? No discipline mm-hmm. no like and just increased mental health issues. Yeah. And I think when I met you, you seemed quite disciplined. I don't know if it was just because you'd been studying for so long that you had that sort of structure in place that uni gave you. Um, uni didn't put any structure. Like, it's like again, like I or felt like, like self-inflicted structure in a way. Yeah. Like, like looking back, I think I've been my be- <laughs> whether it's been a good thing or a bad thing, my best and only mentor, really, outside of my, my parents who can only raise you up until a certain point mm-hmm. where you get moody and you have your teenage angst at 14 or 15 in your rebellion years. Outside of that, I've had to sort of coach myself financially, mentally, physically, all that sort of stuff. Um, and uni, there was no one at uni telling you this is destru- – uni is just fully on your own accord, right? And I also started uni as a mature age student. Mm-hmm. So straight away I felt distance from the younger people in the classes. I didn't feel like I had any direct peers. I was the older person that's had some life experience. I've worked for a bunch of years. I'd gone to TAFE for a different – um, type of uh, study. study. Yeah, I did music production. Then I went into like biology and stuff at uni. Um, but I always felt like still distant, still didn't, just had some sort of barrier and it was mm-hmm. a lot of mental health stuff. A lot of it was just general anxiety disorder. Like um, I don't know if you've ever been on medication for anxiety, depression. No, I haven't. No, never. No. Yeah. So I, I went to the, a psychiatrist once, I think a psychiatrist or psychologist, just went to a GP once. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I'm just struggling here. Mm-hmm. Don't know what I'm doing with myself. This is before uni and like pretty much the first the first engagement. Um, they just give you a printout being like, here is, uh, what's it called? Be- uh, like a behavioral. Cog- cog- cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. um, is just the standard, the sort of printout they give you about What's the definition here? Psychological treatment that has been demonstrated to be effective for a range of problems. Um, Do you want me to I don't have to bring it up. That's no. fine. Um, yeah, it just gives you a printout with some basic animations and stuff on there about how to deal with depression, anxiety disorders, how to different ways to cope, like basic coping skills. But they weren't really taught to you verbally or or anything like in the Phil Stutz documentary. It's just no. a, a bit of paper with basically a, like a meme on there. So awareness has really come a long way then. Uh, yes and no. Mm-hmm. But they also put me on just like a some sort of antidepressive medication. Yeah. Which I took for about a week. Probably the worst week of my life. Really? Yeah. Like felt horrible. Yeah. I was probably 20, mm-hmm. 21 maybe. Mm-hmm. A couple of years before uni. And I just felt horrible like i did not feel like myself have you ever seen you've seen donnie darko yeah with the i don't know what they call it with the how he's walking around is that trail of like bubbles behind him yeah yeah like that vortex in a way it felt like like i was walking and then my brain was about 10 meters behind me at all times it just felt like because you're quite fast paced you're maybe i pretty i pretty got some i mean i think most of us have some low level adhd or some sort of um, well, it's like the hunter gatherer. It's, a, it's, a, it's, like, a, it's a, yeah. some sort of attention disorder. I mean, that stuff can be controlled a lot again with like diet and exercise and mental health practices like meditation or you journal a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt like my brain was ten meters behind me at all point at all times, and 
after like two, three days, I'm like, this, fuck this. Yeah. And I didn't go back to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't end up doing any practices like that with mm-hmm. medication or I didn't use his paperwork, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, for a long, long time. And then I did uni. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, in order to get the grades you want, you kind of have to be disciplined. You do. I wasn't the best studier, but I made sure the work was done to completion, mm-hmm. not at the best, highest degree, which I could have, probably let myself down in a lot of areas. Um, but then through that, I've sort of learned coping mechanisms. Like I was, I was always terrified of um, public speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and through uni, you're forced to do that. I did biology for two years and then I changed to nutrition. But before I changed to nutrition, I read the curriculum and it's basically you got to do a bunch of um, like keynotes. presentations yeah. and stuff in front of the group. I'm like, fuck, I have to confront this. Mm-hmm. But this is the degree I want to do now instead of biology. So, like, You put, you through, put yourself through that pain. I put myself through the hard, the hard work. Mm-hmm. Well, easy for some, harder for others. But for me, it was very difficult at the time. Um, and I knew I didn't have to do any presentations for a year or two down the road, but I'm like, I'm going to have to figure it out. It's just, yeah. again, very, very few mentors around back then. Social media wasn't around. There weren't a bunch of business or life coach gurus on YouTube to look at or anything. No, like a lot the- of it was just rappers. Yeah. Like- and I guess a lot of the books that are now available weren't available then. You've got, yeah, like you said, heaps of podcasts that are available, heaps of documentaries and stuff. But the the doctor that you saw that just like subscribed your medication right away, does that tie into like the documentary you watched? What documentary? Like the Xanax, that, the, the Xanax um, one. It's more, that's anti-anxiety medication. I think mm-hmm. antidepressants are slightly different because yeah. they work on different brain receptors. But I actually remember my first, because that was probably about two years before I went to uni. Mm-hmm. I still had like a rough 12, year, 12 months mm-hmm. after that. Um, but I remember seeing him at uni in my first year. So he was still studying. He was maybe in a PhD program or something. But right. He, he was probably just a junior psychologist or whatever. Yeah. I believe it was a psychologist. I don't think it was a psychiatrist. Um. But yeah, obviously not an expert. No, and like that's sort of like sorry, I just like sort of jumped into I was, that. I was just getting like, textbook yeah. answers, basically. Yeah, hundred percent. And they just like jump you straight into medication straight away, right? Rather than having and again, like it ties into the starts documentary. Be like, no, there's other methods you can go to first, not just taking that easy route of just like here's a quick pill or here's a quick fix. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like everything's just so easy and convenient now. That's I guess the whole point. I mean, there was never a point on this episode, but. It all ties together, right? Like so much screen time is available. Everything's so convenient. Very few people want to go the hard yards of working out every day, mm-hmm. making sure their nutrition's on point, making sure they're being mentally stimulated beyond entertainment sources, right? Like we're trying to read every day. It's not easy to cut that into your in your 24-hour oh, day. It's so hard. We've been trying to do it for a while and it's just like that – just that thought of like, if peop- if you had a pill to, you know, increase your intelligence straight away, would you take it? If you had a pill to- Of course to- you would. That's the yeah. same as the, like the Xanax. If you could remove your anxiety in one second, you're going to take it. That's sort mm. of the whole point, right? It's quick fix. Quick fix. Quick and- fix, instant gratification, social media. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people blame social media for all the problems, but it, at the end of the day, we, also have all, we all have our own personal sovereignty and our own ability to pick and choose- what we consume in our like minds, through our mouths, through our ears. Essentially, th- there has to be some um, responsibility at the personal level. You can't expect the government and the healthcare system and everyone else to like feed you good information all day long. No. There- there's a million things that they have to con- control as well, and a lot of it is money and power games. Not They don't have every single individual person's best interests at heart. The only person that can control your best interest is yourself. And a lot of it comes down to lack of personal responsibility, which is like the the sad but hard truth. Yeah. And then if you don't have that personal responsibility or that personal awareness, then you're just going to take the easy route and just watch TV or stream Netflix. Until you or- get to a breaking point where mm-hmm. you're sort of forced to make some sort of change. Yeah. Where you're, whether it's like you're at your lowest point or you go through like something big and eventful sort of happens, it makes you, makes you really think or like switch into a different mindset. But you really need to reach that point. No one can just give you the answer. No one can give you a pill. They'd be like, all right, all of a sudden you're going to work on yourself tomorrow. You know, you're going to start exercising. You're going to start eating well. You're going to start reading more to, you know, improve your intelligence or whatever it is. Like that's never, 
people can like give it to you or people can put it in front of you, but ultimately it comes up to yourself at the end of the day whether you're actually going to take it in. Yeah, there's plenty of tools. It's how they're presented to you and how you choose to use them, right? Like I was given that paperwork about how to understand and like guide yourself through these harder situations. But if the tools don't seem that practical to you, you're not going to latch onto them or enable yourself to like get any better. So it's it's about understanding the tools and having uh, a way to access them quickly, which mm-hmm. is like, like the Phil Stutz thing is like a very practical way of doing it. Um, the documentary is free, of course, on Netflix. And if, I guess if you want more information, there's the book that you can refer to. Um, but I feel like there's no excuse for people. If we can, if we all have time to watch Netflix and Twitter, n- Twitter and, and TikTok, and it's just about clicking a different button instead mm-hmm. of the easy button. Oh, hundred uh, percent. Might be a harsh, harsh thing for some to hear, but it is, it is the truth, right? And it's not easy for any of us. I've, I turn thirty-five in February, so like two months, mm-hmm. and for the last month, I've just been trying to work out every day. It's not going to be perfect, but it's. It's um it's something you just have to do. Like that's part of the Discipline is Destiny book by Ryan Holiday. It's just show up. Yes. That's the first step. Show up either for an exercise or show up for yourself. Show up and just, I mean, sit on the couch and open a book. You can maybe just read one page. It's just show up. The perfection will come. But I mean, nothing in life is really perfect. No. You're never going to achieve perfection in any aspect or realm of your life. Yeah. But it's just about... Perfectionism is a vice, basically. Yeah, 100%. And it's just about, yeah, like you said, showing up and being present. Like this podcast, for example, like we might not have something to talk about, but it's just showing up and doing the work, yeah. which I think is really important. And it's- You'll one- get better over time, but you won't get perfect. No. And I think like, and with that practice and with that repetition, you might find your own version of perfection or the own version that you're happy with. Um, and like something for me that I've been doing- a little bit inconsistent this year, but a bit better now in the last couple of months is like journaling, right? That was something that I really wanted to start it. Yeah. Like I'm, I mean, I don't read them, but I, you no. do them. Yeah, I do. You do it. Yeah. yeah. So it's just one of those things. Like I had a big switch up at the beginning of the year and I was like, I'm not coping. I'm not handling my emotions well. I'm not treating or serving us in our relationship, right? And I just like, what am I doing wrong? And it wasn't necessarily what I'm doing wrong. It's just what I wasn't doing at all. What do you, you don't have to go into specifics, obviously, yeah. but what do you journal about and what kind of um, tense do you talk in the past tense? Do you talk to your future self? Like how do you, how do you sort of prefer to do you, for those out that are listening and maybe haven't journaled, mm-hmm. I've journaled a, a handful of times this year. It's something that I want to do more. Um, I mean, there's plenty of people that are successful and way smarter and, mm-hmm. way, and way better at every aspect of life than we are that, that journal frequently and attribute a lot of their success to getting their thoughts out and getting that daily brain dump. So Mm -hmm. talk us through how you do your journaling. So it just, it depends on, I guess, the person or the individual and what you really want to get out of it. So a few, I'll go through a few different versions. So people can do a self-reflection. So you can write about the day before. Um, Some people can project, so affirmation in a way and what you wish to achieve and what you want to achieve. Um, Some people, if they're struggling to be present, um, gratitude is always a really, really good option as well. For me, it's a bit of everything that I found because I tried, I've actually tried a few different versions. I've tried just self-reflection and then I find myself getting into the present tense or getting into the negative sort of present tense to be like, you need to do better. You're not doing enough, like all that kind of thing. Or I tried the, the gratitude, but it was like the gratitude was good, but it wasn't helping me reflect on the things that happened the day before and really sort of like debriefing and delving in why I acted a certain way or why I said a certain thing. So for me, it's a bit of everything. Um, I find what really works for myself is actually journaling first thing in the morning. So getting up. How, how long do you spend doing that? Um, or how long do you prefer to do you, do you think is a reasonable amount of time? Like anywhere from 10 to 10 minutes to half an hour will be sometimes that I'll journal for. So if it's been a big day or something upsetting has happened, that's when I journal for a long time. But everything, if everything's going really fine, um, it might be like 10 minutes, just like a quick like affirmation. All right, this is what I really want to achieve. This is what I want to do. And do you put like to or have a means of going back and reflecting on them or is it sort of just to get it? get the uh, the unconscious thoughts onto paper and then move on? Or is it something you reflect on and read back on? Or is it just not meant for that? I'm, I've had the intention or wanted to have the intention of going back and reflecting on it, it, which I it think serve? would be good. Would it serve you? I don't. I don't know because I haven't actually reflected on them. Whatever. And for me, it's more of like a brain dump and getting my emotions yeah. out because I'm – 
not the best or I struggle with communicating my feelings. Um, a shocker, I know, because I'm a woman. Um, but for me, it's really hard to express the way that I feel, um, whether it's just from like childhood or my teenage years. I'm very much like delve, like putting everything down and just like tying it up and being like, all right, everything's fine. Just keep bearing it down. So I've really struggled to, I guess, express myself and really, I don't know, be able to actually work through my emotions properly rather than just having the rose colored glasses on and thinking everything's all positive. Um, so for me, it's very much like just getting the actual real feelings out, um, whether it's positive, negative, whatever it is. And then just like sort of like going on to the next page or closing the book and done. So it's almost like a, yeah, it's like a brain dump in a way. Hmm. Um, but I think what would be a good purpose for me maybe going forward is actually just having, just reading through and having a self-reflection sort of what I've done is started to take like ideas from what I've been journaling and making them Twitter posts just to, um, like the best parts of it or the things that I think that are quite worthwhile that I want to remember, I'll tend to like save and post onto Twitter just so I have something else to look back on. Um, but yeah, make, make a good point of just actually going back and probably having a read to see. My handwriting's terrible, so I don't know if I do that on purpose so I can't so go back and read it. You're trying to get per- – you- who cares? You're the only one reading it. I know. I'm the only one reading it, so it doesn't really matter about my handwriting. Um, That's a, a kind of a point I was going to make before about perfectionism. Um, like first A, show up and do it, mm-hmm. but don't let perfectionism get in the way of starting to do it just because your handwriting is not great or you don't know how to journal. It's just it's just starting, right? And perfectionism, the only reason it is a vice or a problem is because we're comparing our abilities to others mm-hmm. um, because we've been fed social media and reality TV and all these things that are like the curated highlights. Mm-hmm. We want to strive to be at the level others are yeah. and we deem them as perfect but deep down everyone has their own struggles their own um issues with thinking they're not perfect enough or they're not good enough as well so like a lot of the stuff that we do is comparing to others who have just as equal or more problems mm-hmm. and i guess it's just one big cycle of comparisons yeah. in a way well that's what we do as humans like we compare ourselves to one another to be like how how do i rank or how do i it's look a, in comparison to this other person but i think that comes back to a very uh primitive like ancestral hunter gatherer type of uh mentality right like we're still hunters and wanna- gatherers in our brain i was reading i'm oh, sorry i heard the other day someone said um because we basically still have the same DNA and genetics as, you know, a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, whatever, obviously it's changed a little bit, but like we're not born, not that we're like designed by God or anything, uh, but we're not designed or born to seek happiness Mm -hmm. as humans because we're just a part of the animal kingdom. Yeah. What does every animal do? They just want to survive in the most efficient means possible, Mm -hmm. whether it's eating as few berries as possible to get my nutrients. I just need to do the most efficient way of navigating through the day so I can survive. So they're actually built for efficiency, mm-hmm. not happiness. But because our brains are so advanced and everything's so comfortable and convenient, we're seeking comfort all the time. We're seeking a more happy um, route throughout the day, whereas we're built for efficiency. Yeah. So when you think about it in that context, it's it's actually interesting. Yeah, 100%. I think it's the whole thing if you want to seem capable, right? You want to seem that you can either provide or look after. It's comparison um, to the other person in the tribe. Yeah. They got they hunted more animals today. Mm-hmm. They've got more in their basket under their tent. We need more. That's sort of where I was going. Yeah. yeah. And I think that really ties into, this is going to be not, not a segue or whatever, but like consumerism, right? Like it's just that more, more, more. We want more. That maybe- To seem more worthy yeah exactly um so yeah even if you do want a journal and not sure where to start you can literally start just saying i don't know where to start and write that and just keep writing as soon as you have like that stream of consciousness going through and that's just it's just about like you said showing up doing the work creating that habit and that ritual so then it ends up evolving and turning into something that's actually going to be beneficial for you yeah Hmm. journaling yeah yeah, you really got to do it more often. Do I? Yeah, I don't know. It works. You know what? Actually, you don't because it works for me. It may not work for other people. The thing is, no one, no one's gonna see or has to see. I think we have this. Some people might have the the thought that oh, it's a journal. Someone's gonna unlock it one day. Remember the in like I don't know, babysitters club. They have a journal and they have it under lock and oh, key and stuff like actually, that. Actually, because I used to used to have one as like. A, like I think it was when I was nine or ten. I had like one of those Lock. little key locks on it, which like for my you, brothers in, and stuff. But what does that put? What kind of state does that put you in? A defensive, fearful state that someone's gonna 
uncover your deep dark secrets. Yeah, or that your feelings are so that, not worthy exactly. to be known. Yeah. It's it's subtle, but mm-hmm. that shit can like shape kids especially. Yeah, 100%. So like if your if your deepest darkest thoughts, not darkest, obviously I was like 9 or whatever, but if your deepest aren't thoughts safe. aren't safe or like you're f- afraid of someone reading them and judging you, yeah. then what kind of culture, what kind of, what does that say about society? Mm. Whereas like this whole mental health conversation, this whole thing about improving yourself, talking about your feelings, talking about or being honest with yourself and being honest with others is it's getting <clears throat> a lot more prevalent now, which is really good. Yeah. The main thing is you don't have to share, but it feels like you do because of social media, because everyone else is sharing, but they're only sharing the better parts. They are. So like just getting started, just show up. Just if you want to start YouTube, just you can record a video but you're going to immediately get in your own head this framing, this audio has to be perfect. The What I'm talking about has to be perfect. Otherwise, I can't sort of compete with the people that I admire or inspire to become. Mm-hmm. So straight away, you, you don't get started because you think someone's going to see it, but you don't actually have to release it to anyone. The same as the journaling. No one has to see it if you don't want them to see it. Um, but I like to sort of get things off my chest and then dump them. Like I'm doing a lot of just random quotes on Twitter now because it just it helps me get a mini brain dump and a thought off my mind of something that I'm dealing with or something that I've read and I like to get that off my chest. I don't have to share it, mm-hmm. but if I think there's a tiny, tiny shred of value in there for someone, whether it's tomorrow or in 12 months' time, I will put it out, but it's never perfect no. and it's never that great of a piece of content, but no one has to see what you're trying to do. You can, you can try behind closed doors. All day long. Yeah. It's, but the, the sort of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard battle to play, but it comes down to self-awareness and mm-hmm. like the, the discipline thing, the, the book that we're mentioning um, by Ryan Holiday is, is probably a must for anyone that's sort of struggling with what they want to do. Or, or even where to start, really. Where to start, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole thing. Like it's easier not to do anything. It's easier not to show up. It's easier to not post or it's easier to not write. It's easier to not call a friend. Like it's easier just to sit there and Drive do nothing. Through. Exactly. Uh, it's just, yeah. This is a life of easy access mm-hmm. across the board. Yeah. It's harder to put in the effort. It's harder to even just roll out of bed in the morning. Like I think it's, I think I remember listening to or reading something that when it comes to struggles, right, the biggest struggle most of the time is actually rolling out of bed in the first place. Like yep. as soon as we wake up as human beings, we're faced with struggles day in, day out. If you can f- overcome that first hurdle of actually getting out of bed in the first place, yep. that's number one, right? That's hurdle number one. That's struggle number one. And there's science to back all this up. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just like referencing all the just regurgitating um, current podcasts we're listening to. Um, but a good one we're on, on at the moment um, is the Huberman Lab. Mm-hmm podcast um, by Andrew Huberman, who's a, a neuroscientist. Um, a professor at Stanford, I think, from memory. Yeah, yeah. And like it starts with the morning. That's, another, again, another point of the Discipline is Destiny book. It's about the mornings are crucial. You win the morning, you win the day. Oh, it's not from- There's a book, oh, Own the Day, Own Your Life by Aubrey yeah. Marcus. But, I think, sorry to interrupt, yeah. um, but it hasn't really been, like for us, the mornings are being- Yes, we're still trying to get up, but it's been so much better than in the last like three months or six months than it has been. No, I'll probably say three months actually, six months, not so much. Um, actually getting up out of bed before that five o'clock. Yeah, 100%. As soon as you start making excuses, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want a, I want an easy morning. I want to make things easy. Oh, five more minutes, 10 more minutes. It's just Straight like- away, you're just on the back foot and yeah. you're, you're not showing up. And mm-hmm. the, the only person you have to show up for is yourself. Like this yeah. is getting into a bit of a motivational rant, but the mornings matter so crucially because you yeah. can't- you can't go through your day of sleeping in a little bit, um, you know, getting to work late, having mm-hmm. takeaway lunch, and then kick in the good habit formation at 7 p.m. No, it's By that impossible. stage, you're completely mentally drained, has to start in the morning. Yeah. Um, and the point here is like uh, Andrew Huberman from Humans Lab does a bunch of research and stuff and sort of curated, I mean, I'm going to say use the word perfect, but we said perfect, perfection is a vice essentially, um, but a very productive way to start your morning based mm-hmm. on science. Yeah. Um, and they're little things that we're trying to implement, right? And they, and they do matter and they do help dramatically set up your day for a win. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I've got a bit of in my throat. Do you want to read that off? Yeah, easy. Um, so 
waking up between 5.30 and 6.30, um, I think that's super important because anything past, I don't, can't remember the last time I woke up past six, to be honest, um, but I ha- having that first in the morning because how many people wake up late? You've already got a leg up if you wake up during that time. Yep. Um, wait, go back. Sorry. I, th- oh. I thought it was a mic. A slightly better version, more perfect version. Um, yeah, I'll go back to it. But yeah, wake up, wake up at the same time is a, is a very crucial one, right? Mm-hmm. Go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. Sleep is super crucial. Yeah, um, ten to thirty minutes of yoga nidra. Sorry, before we go, this is his practice. Here it is. Yeah, um, you can listen to a bunch of his podcasts about mm-hmm. things that do work, but these are the ones that he implements. Yeah. and I think just to. Go, not tiny, a bit off topic, but anybody that does like the motivational books or the self-help or have like some sort of like science back thing, it's like that early, like the morning is like, like you said before, is super crucial, like super crucial. Yeah. Um. So there are 10 to 30 minutes of yoga nidra if you don't feel rested. You actually introduced me to this, which was really interesting. Well, via yeah. him, yeah. yeah so him. You, you wake up at the same time every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're feeling groggy, if you haven't had as much sleep, maybe you had some alcohol the night before, you ate dinner too late and you- Or your you were, sleep was interrupted. Yeah, if you're a little bit restless, uh, there's this thing called yoga nidra, which is basically, it's essentially a nap, but it's a guided nap and it makes you feel completely rested. It's so a I, nervous system reset. Nervous system reset. You can do that mm-hmm. throughout the day. Um, there's plenty of guided ones on YouTube you can find. Um, but if you feel like groggy in the morning, you need that extra hour of sleep, you can probably do a 10-minute yoga nidra session mm-hmm. with some headphones on or whatever, and it's going to feel like you, you're fully recovered. Might not work for everybody, but it has worked for us. Like when I yeah. do it in the middle of the day, I feel like it's a brand new day when I get up. Yeah, it's almost like you've had an afternoon coffee or like a, like a little bit of sugar. Like just I'm trying to think of like little bit of things to just give you a bit of, of an extra pep in your step. Yeah. Um, just to get- the Best way is, yeah, central yeah. nervous system- Reset. Reset. Um, hydrating is always super important so as well. tons of water, probably yeah. between at least 500 mils of water. It's yeah. Like a, a, even a liter of water could mm-hmm. help. Going outside for 10 to 30 minutes of light exposure. You've just see, recently sort of started doing this. Um, I usually wake up in the morning, um, I'll journal, and then I'll take Archie out for a walk. Yep. So it's usually about half an hour to 45 minutes before I go outside. Yep. Um, you used to, and I had a, not had a go at you, but you used to go straight into work mode yeah. as soon as you woke up. 30 minutes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Into the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, t- 10 to 30 minutes of light exposure first thing in the morning. So th- I guess the science behind that is, I'll bring it down here. Um, the simple behavior that I do believe everyone should adopt is to view ideally sunlight for two to 10 minutes every morning upon waking. So when you get up in the morning, you really want to go get bright light into your eyes because it does two things. First of all, it triggers the timed release of cortisol into your system, which acts as a wake up signal and, and will promote wakefulness and the ability to focus throughout the day. It also starts a timer for the onset of melatonin. So it's literally just a hormonal response in the body. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, us included for a long time, will wake up and have a coffee because you're feeling tired and the coffee was going to wake you up. Yeah. One thing you can do is get up at the same time every day, drink a lot of water, um, don't have any screen time mm-hmm. and go outside. Yeah. But we used to like get up and have coffee and get that jolt of energy. Mm-hmm. Having a more naturalistic approach like our sort of ancestors would have done is wake up, view the sunrise, different colors of the the sun coming through the clouds, the mm-hmm. the light blues, the oranges and stuff coming through, that is like really significant and, and helpful for the way your body will start releasing hormones and it sets you up your circadian rhythm for the day. Yeah. Um, but the main thing is doing that alone can release a lot of like um, chemicals and stuff in your body that the oh. caffeine can sort of do, but this is a more natural approach. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have caffeine, but I think – um, the consensus is wait about 60 to 90 minutes after you wake up. Delaying that coffee consumption. Yeah. We've gone in and out of delaying the coffee consumption. I'm a, I'm really bad for it because I'll wake up and make a coffee straight away. Um, but yeah, what we're really trying to do is just delay that coffee for that little bit. Now, um, over the last like week or so, I'm walking Archie, then I'll have my first coffee afterwards. So yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, they're sort of the main things, right? And it's very easy, very practical to do. You just got to get in the habit of doing it. Um, if you want to find more, just literally type in uh, Andrew Huberman morning routine. I'm not saying this is the perfect formula. There's probably a bunch of other recommendations from other scientists and stuff mm-hmm. um, online. But yeah, th- the main thing is sleep. Yeah. Bunch of water in the morning, get a mm-hmm. bit of sunlight, sunlight. natural sunlight, yeah, not, not light from your screens and delay your coffee. Mm-hmm. On top of that, I mean, health and ex- diet and exercise mm-hmm. and all of that stuff goes a long, long way to 
um, counteracting any sort of mental health problems or adversities that you will encounter throughout the day. Yeah, 100%. Huge, huge, huge yeah. benefits. And like what we're really finding or what I'm really finding is if I can set the morning up well, um, the rest of the day has a better flow to it. If I find that I'm rushed in the morning, if I'm running out of time, running late, it definitely has a layer of effect for the whole entire day and can definitely affect my mood. Um, just the like, yeah, just the flow of the day. So if the morning can generally go relatively smooth, um, if I can get like my non-negotiables done, so my journaling, um, walking, Archie, exercising, then at least I know that I've ticked off yeah. like three things, right? I've succeeded in three things already. Then you you allow yourself some leeway for hiccups later in the day because 100%. you know you've ticked off like the non-negotiable components mm-hmm. of your life. And the the main thing is like doing things that are sustainable, like long, long term. You want to be able to do these practices and control your mental health and the way you, you act throughout the day long term into your 50s, 60s, 70s. But mm-hmm. again, none, none of this stuff is really taught or like it comes back to the TV generation that we we're talking about earlier. Yeah. None of this stuff is really pushed to us or was widely available. But A, because there was no financial gain for a TV show, a kid's TV show to teach you this stuff. No. Right? It was purely entertainment, sell ad space for TV time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with the advent of social media mm-hmm. and uh, content creation and people getting paid, like mm-hmm. uh, high-level scientists or people who do have a financial incentive to help you as opposed to sell you a, a product or program, um, all these things are out there. It's just a matter of spending the time trying to find them and then hopefully we can guide you guys a little bit in the right direction. There's plenty of other places that give you more insight. Mm-hmm. But it comes down to, again, self-restraint and willpower and like wanting to like make your life less stressful and, and more at ease. Um, and, and that's sort of the main the main conversation yeah. for the episode. No, it's sort it's of all about, over the place. It but is. It's just it's about showing health. up. Yeah. yeah, 100%. It's just about showing up and doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. No. The hard route. Yeah, the hard route. Yeah. Get out of that comfort zone. What won't be hard for you guys is to subscribe to the channel <laughs> on YouTube. And you can also follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram. All shows will be on Spotify as well, video version and Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you guys next week for Look Mom episode 41. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.